0: Welcome to A Dream and a Fear. I'm your host, Max.
1: And I'm Hugo. In this series of podcasts, we'll be diving into the lives, motivations and legacies of some of history's greatest explorers.
0: So we've just come off a great chat with Dean King about Captain James Riley, uh, a really fascinating story that is remarkably unknown for how incredible it is. Uh, Hugo, do you want to just give a few thoughts uh, about that episode?
1: Yeah, so it's a harrowing account of uh, Captain James Riley, who ended up being shipwrecked with his crew off uh, Western Sahara, and then went through the ordeal of being enslaved into the African slave trade. And Dean's incredible book sort of traces their road to safety over a number of months. And actually fascinating is something that um, Dean told us in, in the hour-long chat. He said that the, the book actually was one of three three books that Abraham Lincoln references as the most influential books. And it actually became a key a key bit of information that led uh, America and led the abolitionist movement. So, yeah, a really fascinating story. One that until we researched a book, we hadn't heard of. And I don't think many people have. So... It's well worth a listen. And yeah, we'll leave you in the warm embrace of uh, Dean King. So welcome, Dean.
0: Thank you very much uh, for joining us all the way from the United States today. Just so our listeners know, we have Dean King on the podcast today, uh, award-winning author. He's written a number of best-selling books, one called Skeletons on the Zahara, which we will be talking about today, which tracks the incredible story of Captain Riley, who is the... Focus of our episode, and he has a book on John Muir that is coming out later this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dean. So just go and check those out, Dean. This is a really fascinating story, but up to the publication of your book, was largely a forgotten one. How did you first hear about Captain Riley? Uh,
2: I was in the New York Yacht Club Library researching a a companion book to the Patrick O'Brien novels, which I love, and. I I wrote a a biography of Patrick O'Brien, but uh, one day I just looked up on a a shelf, and uh, they have an amazing maritime collection there, and I saw a leather-bound book that said Sufferings in Africa on the spine, and it it was too much to resist, so I pulled it down and cracked it open and and started reading, and lo and behold, it was Captain Riley's memoir from
1: 1815. Amazing that you found found this story, and to sort of start things off, can you tell us a bit about Um, Captain James Riley's early life, where he came from and how he actually ended up in Africa in the first place.
2: Yeah, he was from Middletown, Connecticut, uh, on the Connecticut River. And um, during the War of 1812, the sort of merchant shipping industry had been completely disrupted by the British blockade. And, uh, and he had he had lost a ship uh, uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, um, had been chased by the British Navy, boarded by the British Navy, went into a French port. They saw that the British ship had, uh, had uh, boarded the American ship and then confiscated all of, all of their goods. And so he, he was kind of broke and destitute, and, um, uh, but, but a good seaman. And when the War of 1812 uh, came to an end, he, um, he set out on this voyage to sort of restore his fortunes. And, you know, that, that memoir that I cracked open that day uh, that I was in the New York Yacht Club Library, I, I started turning the pages and I just could not believe what I was reading. Yet, you know, I'd read a lot of sailors' memoirs, and this one really rang true more than many. Um, they tend to tell tall tales at times, but, but the, the level of detail and earnestness in, in this memoir was remarkable. So he had, he had set out from Connecticut and gone down to New Orleans. Uh, to pick up flour and tobacco, which he then sailed across to Gibraltar and traded that for Spanish coin. And he was going down to the Canary Islands to pick up salt, um, which would have been a a sort of a a natural um, uh, voyage at that time because um, a lot of salt came from the West Indies, which the the British had, you know, blockaded and prevented them from getting and, and controlled. So... Um, you know that that was the voyage that he he undertook, and uh, and then as he was heading from Gibraltar down to uh, the Canary Islands, they got caught in a in a storm and blown off course, and they they wrecked uh, on the coast near the Canary Islands.
0: And for context, before we dive into the main story of the shipwreck and what happened after, in 1815 what would the average seaman have known about this part of Africa and more broadly, how involved were the European powers in this particular region?
2: Well, um, you know, on most maps of, of the day, you you'll see something like wild Arabs written there, you know, or cannibals. I mean, they were mortified, uh, of, of the natives there. Uh, the, the European powers were, um, in, in Africa. And so you had, uh, a British outpost in uh, what, they, what they called Mogador and uh, the Moroccans called Esawira, uh, it's Swera. Uh, Esawira is the modern name, Swera is, is the, the name in, in the book. And, uh, and then to the south, the French had an outpost in the Senegal River uh, called Saint Louis. And in between that was, was really nothing but a, a desert coast. It, it drops off and in places, you know, hundreds of feet straight down to the ocean.
1: Riley's um, remarkable account begins with the shipwrecking of his boat off the coast of the Western Sahara. Can you paint a picture for our listeners, please?
2: Yeah, so they, they, they ran aground in the storm and waves are crashing over the... Uh, it's a merchant brig. It's not a huge ship. You know, there are only 11 men on, on, on this brig, uh, but waves are crashing over it. And, and they realize uh, they're not going to be able to, to, to save the ship. Uh, and so... Uh, but, but they are... They are really mortally frightened of going ashore, uh, for what they might encounter there. Um, and, uh, but, but, they don't really have a choice, but to go to the beach. Uh, and, and so they, there because a lot of their stuff has been, you know, washed up on the beach and, and they go there and, and pretty soon they, um, they see a man who is, is kind of looking at them from, a, a distance. And, um, he goes off and gets, it gets his sort of clan and, um, these are, are Berbers. They're kind of local tribes. They're not. They're not Arabized. And the, the Arabized um, uh, Moroccan people um, were very fierce, camel riding um, kind of, um, you know, princes of, of the desert. Uh, they would uh, subjugate the the non-Islamic. Um, Uh, peoples there and send them to the coast to fish for them. And and that wasn't considered very manly to be on the coast and fishing. And, you know, uh, the the sort of uh, more noble life in that area was to have camels and live on the desert and trade. Uh, So what they were facing was was one of these um, Berber tribes and that that soon turned violent.
0: And so they initially thought they could negotiate with the local tribes, but this actually ended up leading to the death of the first shipmate. Could you please tell us a bit more about this?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if they really felt like they could negotiate with them, but they didn't have a choice uh, because uh, uh, the, the, these, these tribesmen, were, you know, were, were well armed and uh, heavily outnumbered them. And, and so they, um, they, they took one of the men hostage and uh, we're insisting that um, that that the uh, the sailors bring gold off their ship. They wanted they wanted you know they wanted treasure. They thought that they were going to be you know rich and wealthy from this shipwreck, which you know um, uh, shipwrecks were a, a form of income in that area. And so were white sailors captured and sold as slaves. So um, so they captured this man and. Uh, it's one of the dicier uh, moments of of the story and in of Riley's story um, the man that they captured was actually a, a Volunteer sailor that they picked up in Gibraltar and who was going to work his way home So he wasn't really part of the original um, sort of tight-knit crew from Connecticut and um, and, and eventually um, This man uh, is is speared and, um, and, and taken off when, um, when the, 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 local nomads don't get what they want from, from Riley and the crew.
1: They began with the idea of going up the coast, which they did on, on their boat. They then ran out of supplies and had no choice, but to accept their fate, to be enslaved by natives. And once enslaved, their suffering was great. They tracked through the desert for a number of months. Can you depict to, for our listeners this suffering and sort of what condition they were in?
2: Yeah, first of all, to get up to the desert, uh, you know, when, when they, they, they were on the wrecked brig and uh, they decided that, that they weren't going to survive this encounter if they went back to the coast. So they went out in their boat and they, they um, you know, after being out for a week and uh, eating all their food and starting to live on their own urine, know they go back to the coast and they have to climb up hundreds of feet just to get onto the desert so they're really sort of broken down at this point um they manage to climb up the the cliffs and you know look out and it is you know rocky stony uh formidable desert uh with with nothing no amenities and and no people in sight but uh they start walking inland, and uh, the next day, they, they see a firelight, and they, they go to the firelight, and it, it happens to be um, uh, a watering place for uh, nomads. And uh, the, the, these, the Arab nomads see them, and they come rushing at the, the sailors, and a big fight ensues. And it's not the sailors fighting the, the Arabs. It's the Arabs fighting each other over who's going to own which sailor because they're so valuable there on the desert as, as um, you know, as slaves and can be sold either to the British in the north or to the French in the south. And, um, and at, at that point, once the Arabs take possession of them, they strip them naked they, because even, you know, every article of clothing is of value. So they're fighting over that. The, uh, the sailors are, are, are really, you know, starving, dying of thirst no clothes, no possessions, they're really reduced as much as a human being can, can be reduced. And, um, and, and also now the Arabs, uh, they settle the matter, each, each family takes a different sailor or two if you know, they were more powerful. And at that point, um, the crew, you know, there, there's a palpable change because as long as the sailors were together in that ship's crew, whatever they faced, they faced together and they knew their roles and they worked together as a team. But once they were separated and and then hustled up onto the the sandy desert to, to move to the next well, they were no longer part of the team. The, the 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 crew spirit was broken and and Riley even tells you then you know he he had let his men down. He was um, disappointed with himself. He couldn't he couldn't protect them anymore. And he looks for a rock to to bash his own brains in with you know, um, uh, and, and he survives that moment. But at that at that time he he tells you that he surrendered his will to God, and instead of trying to, to force things with his own will, he decided that he needed to trust in something bigger in faith and 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 use that to motivate his men to try to survive these really brutal conditions that they're they're about to face on the desert, um, which you just mentioned, and um, yeah you know. Um, as, as white slaves, they're, they're even lower than uh, the, the African slaves that these um, Arabs have who've been with the, the, the tribe. And, and so um, you know they're, they're considered infidels. The Arabs won't sort of eat out of the same vessels or drink out of the same vessels with them. So at times they're not allowed to drink because there's no way for them to drink. Um, the, the Arabs survive on, on camel milk mostly. And uh, the Americans, you know, are not used to that. Um, so they're, they're suffering greatly. You know, in, in addition to that, of course, you have the heat and uh, the sand. And, and uh, at night it's cold. They're forced to sleep out on the, on the desert. You know, they're not even guarded because there's no place they could go.
0: So the men, after, the, after being captured, were offered a lifeline in the shape of a trader called Sidi Hamet. Uh, could you tell us how this Interaction came about, and what did Captain Riley offer to Hammett to take this risk?
2: Yeah, uh, C- City Hammett was a, a a trader from the north, and um, who who uh, you know did the the caravan routes. Um, and uh, a, a truly amazing thing about Riley's memoir was that um, you know, and I realized this when I when I read it in the New York Yacht Club was that. At the end of the memoir, there's a whole section about City Hammett, and Riley and City Hammett, through the experience that they're going to have, become friends and, and Riley interviews City Hammett. So, so we know the whole backstory uh, of, of City Hammett, which is, you know, not something you, you would ever get in, in almost any other history of the day. So it was, it was really an amazing discovery. But City Hammett had um, owed his father-in-law money and had had some misfortunes in the caravan trade. And so uh, he, he's desperate himself. He comes into this uh, nomad camp thinking maybe he'll, he'll do some trading, and he sees that they have these white slaves. And, um, and, and Riley goes out and tries to communicate with them. Sidi Hammett's with his brother, Said, who is, is kind of brutal and not understanding, but Sidi Hammett is sort of a deeper, kind of richer uh, th- thinker, and he communicates with Riley. Uh, Which is difficult because they um, they have to sort of piece together a pigeon language and and use um, their hands and you know uh, uh, signal to each other because their languages are different. Um, But but Riley um, manages to convince uh, uh, City Hammett that that if he'll buy uh, him and his men that um, that and take them north that that he'll pay them a ransom. That he knows somebody up there that um, will give him uh, you know money to to pay to pay for him and his crew Uh, so City Hammett sees an opportunity here to uh, restore his fortunes with his father-in-law and it's a big risk because you know it's just City Hammett and his brother and white slaves are incredibly valuable on the desert so just trying to transport these guys hundreds of miles up to Morocco is going to be you know fraught with all kinds of difficulties and and, you know, they, they, they'll get attacked by any stronger group that, that sees them, who will try to take uh, uh, the white slaves from them.
1: There's, there's a real really harrowing section in your book depicting the moment that Archibald Robbins was left behind one of the shipmates. How did Sidi Hammett come to decide which men he saved? And what sort of psychological effect did it have on the men when they were split up?
2: You know, City City Hammett's a, a practical man. He he can see that these sailors are near death, and uh, and so he's gonna only uh, you know invest in in the ones he thinks he can get uh, across the desert alive and and redeem for the ransom, and uh, and 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 also Robbins comes in late after he has sort of negotiated you know all his money away to buy as many of the sailors as he could, and so. Um, you know by the time robbins gets there he doesn't have uh he doesn't have anything left there's no way you know no leverage to negotiate for robbins and robbins is is also in in a bad way so um robbins is is left behind and, and the men you know know that that it well could be the last uh, time they see their shipmate and you know it's it's a it's a very painful scene
0: and you've mentioned there the inability for them to Buy or, or or trade all of the the slaves from Ryder's crew. Could you just explain to our listeners why Robbins and some of the others weren't actually with them when City Hammond was making this trade? So, um, so these
2: these uh, Arab nomads with their camels, they they travel together but separately, because you know the camels need to graze, and there's not much uh, forage on the desert. So. They, they need to, to sort of cut a wide swath. If they're aiming for a well, they're going to be spread out maybe 50 or a hundred miles, you know, uh, so that their camels can graze on the way. So, in um, each family had their own uh, member of the crew or, you know, some of them had two, but, but um, that's why they were separated at that point. Uh,
0: despite the language barrier, a surprising bond between the trader city Hammett and the American sea captain Riley was forged. Could you tell us a little bit about how this relationship flourished?
2: Yeah, it's it's really the the truly amazing part of the memoir and the story is that um, the two men, as they're traveling together, you know, Riley is a captain of the sea. City Hammett is a, a captain of the desert. They they know how to navigate using the stars. Um, they're both. Um, uh they they both have a sort of a deep spiritual side to them and uh riley riley in fact uh when they leave in the longboat from the shipwreck he thinks that god has calmed the seas for them and has basically parted the seas when they leave and he he says that in his memoir uh you know because it's still stormy but but he was they were allowed to to escape and and so, City Hammett and Riley realize that they have the spiritual side. Uh, City Hammett sees that that Riley can control his men and that he's kind to them, but gets them motivated to do what they need to do to survive, to help City Hammett. You know, uh, when they face um, in enemies that that are nearby, being quiet or you know, um, being prepared to fight when they when they might need to. So. Um, as they travel they 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 come to re- respect one another um, You know, which is which something that that I experienced certainly, you know when, in my research trip to a lesser degree was that, you know, um, when you're traveling together suffering together They they went 50 or hundred miles. Well, Riley said they went hundred miles That's a, a bit much to do on a camel in a day but but they they probably did days of up to 50 or 60 miles and that's extremely difficult so when you do that kind of thing together and suffer together, you you naturally bond.
1: When reading your book, I, I felt that Riley came across as someone who was highly intelligent. He was loyal, um, sensitive as well. How much do you think these traits contributed to the morale and the survival of, of the man?
2: Uh, absolutely. Yes. You know, he tells his men um, that that moment I mentioned, where he he thinks about you know bashing his own brains in, he says, and he survives that, and he turns to his faith, and he tells his men, look, you know, um, there's 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 something bigger in the world, and now you have to you know surrender to to what we're experiencing here, and 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 use your own wits, and, um, and you know do the best you can, and and have the faith that it's going to work out in the end. And so I think partly it's his spirituality, but but it's also um, his his leadership um, abilities that that you know keep the men in line even at the darkest hour. Uh, also, yes, his intelligence in dealing with with uh, City Hammett and Saeed, who who doesn't doesn't like him and, and wants to trade trade them off. You know, so he's got to be very careful in the way he he plays his hand as as they head up something that we haven't mentioned as well is that um, you know Riley told City Hammett that he knew somebody in the north who would ransom ransom them but he didn't and city Hammett had said okay I'm gonna trust you Riley but um, but if you're lying to me you know I'm gonna slit your throat you know if, if you're lying to me because he's gambling his whole life on this and so the whole way while they're bonding you have this, also, this deceit and this lie and this guilt that Riley's suffering at having lied to this man who has risked everything to save him, you know, as they're actually bonding. So it's this amazing psychological uh, turmoil and storm going on
0: uh, within Riley. And so, as Sidi Hammett said, he obviously brought them safely to Mogador uh, true to his word. However, Riley, as you mentioned, had actually deceived city Hammond and had no contacts in Mogador, but the British consul, William Wilshire ended up saving them. Could you explain why he saved some Americans he had never met?
2: I think Wilshire, you know, was, uh, just a, a, a kind man who understood how dire and how horrible it would be to be shipwrecked and enslaved on the desert. And um, he didn't care what nationality, even though the, you know, the British and the Americans had just been at war and there, you know, there certainly were some hard feelings. Um, you know, this, this was be above and beyond that. This was, you know, about humanity and, um, and, and, and Will sure could, you know, I get, you know, he was, a, he was a, a trader and he had uh, the funds and, And he trusted that that Riley, you know, certainly once he met him, you know, he took a risk. But once he met him, he realized that that Riley was a good man, was going to be true to his word, just as City Hammett had. Um, And and so, um, you know, it was a a remarkable set of events of of good men um, trusting one another, trusting to to fate. And and, um, you know, it's what we would like to think, you know, uh, could be could persist and and be the sort of normal way with humanity is is that we trust our better instincts
1: and it's a it's sort of a tragic ending for city hammer the man who risks everything to sort of save these men and he after handing over um riley and his men to william wilshire he agreed to go back into the desert and try and find some of the men that were left over but he ended up failing to achieve this aim can you sort of elaborate on that
2: yeah, and you know, um, first of all, uh, I'd like to say that you you know when you hear the word ransom, you might think that that Riley would have been angry and said, you know, well these guys took me up, you know, uh, you know as a prisoner and ransomed me. But but Riley also said, you know, City Hammett's a good man, and, and as I mentioned, he hired a translator and interviewed City Hammett and got his whole story uh, that he wanted to tell. He was so moved by by City Hammett's humanity. And, and so their bond was really uh, quite remarkable. Uh, City Hammond said, I, "I will go back down and look for your um, for your the other sailors because not you know uh, Robbins was still down there and several other sailors who were with other families who weren't there when the whole transaction took place um, were still on the desert, and um, we don't know exactly what happened to to City Hammond, but as as William Porter, one of the other sailors, was was coming up." Um, It appears that City Hammett had managed to to um, buy Porter and was bringing him up to Wilshire to to redeem. And um, when they're attacked by one of these tribes, that you know that that Riley and his men had also faced with City Hammett on the way north through their whole ordeal. But this time, uh, City Hammett didn't survive. And you you know so Porter tells Riley that uh, about this Hammett and, and explains the situation and we don't know for sure but but
0: Riley felt that that was City Hammett who was killed by these people. What do we know also about the fates of the remaining men of the desert, e.g. Robbins?
2: Robbins managed to um, to uh, get redeemed and and come through and and he wrote uh, uh, a memoir. Uh, He was there much longer, uh, another 17 months. And, um, you know, um, back to to the beginning when I found Riley's uh, memoir in the New York Yacht Club library and I read who the crew was, I then walked four blocks down Manhattan to the New York Public Library and I looked up every man in the crew and I found that Robbins uh, had published a narrative. And so I had two different narratives uh, of, of the same event, but, but also Robin's more extensive ordeal to sort of compare and contrast, and that had never been done before. Uh, so that, that was really uh, another fortunate stroke as a storyteller for me to, to have both of those to work from. But the other, uh, Dick DeLeal, the, um, there, there's a, a black cook um, who was not seen again and several other sailors who just disappeared into the desert.
1: For those men that were left in the desert, how horrendous would a life of slavery have been for those men?
2: You know, interestingly, um, you know, uh, in in the slavery that existed there on the desert um, as uh, um, these Islamic tribes, they would allow uh, infidel sailors, uh, uh, you know, from whatever European nation or uh, black Africans from the south to convert if you conversed converted to uh, Islam you could be accepted into the tribe and um, you you could you know uh, if you performed you could you could fight with the tribe and if you performed well, you know You could you could be accepted you could work your way in which is very different from sort of the the Western uh, institution of, of slavery, so um, We don't know um, these guys uh, very likely uh, could, have, could have died from the hardships, but, but you, you know, the, the, um, the tribes had a vested interest in keeping them alive because they were valuable. They didn't, wouldn't do them any good dead. So, so there's a chance they, they persisted
0: for, for, for a while and lived out their lives on the desert. And Riley actually used his experiences of slavery to call into the question the morality of the transatlantic slave trade. And later he went on to play a key role in the abolitionist movement. What did Riley do once he returned to America?
2: Riley went to, to Washington to, to try to, um, because he, again, he was, after this shipwreck, he was, he was again broke and he had a family, had a wife and young kids at home. And so he went to Washington to try to get Congress to, you know, to, to put up some money to reimburse um, William Wilshire, which they eventually did. And um, his, he, he wrote an account of this, which was published and um widely distributed it became news in in every newspaper uh, uh across uh the united states at the time and um and uh in, in the in the book was a very popular read uh abraham lincoln as a boy somehow got a copy of it and and i should say that you know, when Robbins came back, he was angry, and he talked about how brutally they were treated and how these were bad people. The, the really brilliant thing, I think, about Riley was that he came back and he said, they're not bad people, it's the institution of slavery that's bad. That, you know, if, if you have slavery, it's necessarily evil and going to, uh, to, to produce uh, very cruel conditions. Whether it's in Africa or, or the United States, and so that's really the brilliant stroke of, of Riley is is realizing that that um, those people that had, had enslaved him on the desert, they weren't naturally bad. It was that that they held slaves and that that, that was creating a, a a sort of horrific situation. But um, Abraham Lincoln read this story as you know what boy doesn't love a shipwreck story and you know um, reading about all these hardships and survival and. Um, but, but it really made a big impact on him. And later he said, you know, along with the Bible and Aesop's fables and uh, a biography of Franklin and a biography of, of George Washington, Riley's narrative was one of five books that made a huge impact on him as a boy. And so if you think of that, you know, uh, it's, it's truly remarkable that um, that that Riley's narrative uh, would impact the president that is go- going to eventually end slavery in, in America, um, and and then and then even in, in some ways even as remarkable as that this story then became forgotten, really until I found the, the narrative again in the in the library, and uh, and, and then went down and, and, and realized that um, that it had this connection to Lincoln and and pieced that together.
1: It's an amazing story, and the fact that it's uh, he he referenced it in line with the with the Bible, um, and it, yeah, as you can see, you know the 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 ability for it to contextualize the suffering of um, people within the slave trade was immense. But this is not the last time that we hear of William Wilshire. A, a city is actually named after him in America. Can you just tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah, the, there's a the city named after him. Riley uh, became uh, a. Um surveyor and went out to ohio and uh and you know was so thankful that uh you know for what he had done he named a city after him
1: and in your research uh for the book you actually went out to west africa to western sahara and retraced riley's route although it didn't go to plan how was this successful in bringing to life riley's suffering
2: the, that that journey was was really truly amazing. I think the fact that it didn't go according to plan uh, made it all the more um, instructive to me because uh, everything that, that 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 could go wrong kind of did go wrong, and and so I had to improvise and I had to see how. Um, how adverse conditions could be. Of course, not nearly as adverse as they were for them, but, um, but, but it was a struggle. And, and I learned so much um, in, in, in traveling. You know, first of all, uh, I, I had set up uh, this research journey for a year, uh, what turned out to be a, a year ahead of what was 9-11. And so I was supposed to be there the week after 9-11. Um, and of course that, that disrupted all my plans. Some of the people that were going to go with me, couldn't go. Um, I had, uh, hired, uh, guides who this, this area is so remote that we were trucking in our own camels. And, um, and, and I actually, uh, called them to say, Hey, you know, let's not do this now. Let's, let's do it next spring. Uh, and they said, no, we're, we've already got the camels on the truck. They're on their way there. You need to come. And so I, I decided. Uh, I decided that I would go. Uh, uh, the the day that uh, I landed in Casablanca in Morocco was the day that the United States started dropping bombs in the in the Middle East and so uh, in Afghanistan. So um, it, was, uh, it was it was it um, was pretty harrowing. Uh, and then uh, then I took a, a, a puddle jumper down to Western Sahara, um, and and there were places where uh, i was harassed in in towns but the really wonderful um tradition of of um sort of guest friendship um really i i I knew that that i could trust in that i knew that my guides um i had i had sort of vetted my guides i knew that they were good people and they took great care of me um and and i had had comfort in that and and so um you know we set out on the desert and and um I, i learned a lot of amazing lessons
0: and linking that to some of the things you've just said you you stated in the past that you feel that little has changed in that region in the two centuries between your visit and riley's could you elaborate a little bit on this for our listeners
2: yeah you know i i can i can give some uh, great examples um when we first set out on the camels i had a a local guide named uh, Mohammed el arab Uh, Because there are no maps down there there there, you know stationary buildings, you know, you have to have a a local um, you have to have a local guide and uh, my first day on on a camel um, You know I had never been on a camel before and I and I wanted to try to do what Riley had done I had trained physically I'd run and you know prepared to face hardships, but um, riding I, I didn't really know how to ride a camel and Muhammad, uh, you know, goes tearing off uh, down the desert. My camel goes tearing off behind his, and and I, I, really don't know how to control the camel very well. Rafts of foam are coming out of its mouth that I'm trying to dodge. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm slipping to the side, and the the, the saddle has come undone. And I'm and I'm pretty soon I'm looking down into the whip sawing legs of this camel, and um, either I'm going to go in into his, you know, in between his legs and get chewed up, or I, I'm going to fall off the camel. So. Uh, I let go of the camel, I fall you know hit the ground and um, and I'm lying there and, and Muhammad finally realizes I'm not behind him he comes riding up to me and he goes, King, you know what's wrong And uh, I'm, I'm checking my bones to see you know it, it, we were on the on the beach you know but there were stones and it, it, was, it was it was could have been bad but um, but I was I was okay and but he's still looking down at me as'm I'm, I'm sort of checking to see if anything's broken and he goes, it doesn't matter. Camels are sacred. Those who fall from camels are never hurt. You're okay. Get up. Let's go. And, uh, you know, as a Westerner, that, you know, might not have had much solace uh, to me, but, but, but inside uh, I, I, had, I had a big grin because um, Riley had fallen off of his camel, and his guide had said very much the same thing. Captain Riley If that had been a donkey, you'd be dead. But you fell from a camel. You're fine. You know, people who fall from camels are never hurt. Let's go. And uh, when I read that in his memoir, I I thought, Oh gosh, he's you know here here he's a sailor telling us a tall tale. And I never thought for a moment that I would actually experience that myself on the desert. So um, it it was just just the beginning of a lot of things. You know, like that. Um, Another amazing one was that there's a moment in in the memoir where um, Riley talks about his men have dysentery and they're they're suffering greatly and that can be really deadly you know it dehydrates you and so city um, uh, Hammond and his and Saeed heat up knives in the fire and um, and they take the back of the blade and they and they apply it to the necks of these sailors and it's excruciatingly painful and they're screaming and and Riley doesn't believe in that so, um, it, it's it's sort of like torture. Um, and, and again, when I read that, I thought, wow, that's so brutal. I'm not sure I really believe that or if he's just kind of making that up. Well, sure enough, I, I look at um, another one of my guides and I see a, a long, thin scar on his neck. And uh, I ask him, you know, uh, where he got that. And he describes, you know, the exact same treatment in this day and age. He says a few years ago, he had been very sick. And 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 describes the heating up of the knives, the you know applying of it, and, and he he said it cured him, and so um, that that medicine that was practiced back in 1815 when Riley was there is still practiced today. This same guide said that that's that's what he would do for his children if they got sick. Uh, so again, you know, the the things that I thought I was going to discover, I thought you know I had a map um, that Riley. There, there weren't maps of the area back then, but Riley had pieced it together you know, as best he could. And, and I took his trail and, and applied it to a modern map and saw where the wells were. And I was trying to go track down those sort of verifiable type things that, that um, I might be able to find. Well, that got completely disrupted um, because of uh, the, the danger of the time. The um, Moroccans who control that area now didn't want me out in the desert. And so um, a lot of the trail got disrupted in what I could do. But, but these things that Riley had said about uh, the society um, that I didn't think I would discover, uh, I was able to experience. And that was a, an incredible revelation for me and really uh, gratefully helpful, uh, greatly helpful in, in, in my retelling of, of his story.
1: And you had, I think you probably, you, I'm sure you would have had the same problems that Riley had in terms of sort of communicating with the guides. Uh, his inability to communicate with Sidi Hamid. How did you sort of get around this?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this this guy, um, Muhammad El Arab, fortunately was a really loquacious guy, and he speaks Arabic and, and Spanish, and I speak English and some French, so we really didn't have a common language, but... Still, he he picked up enough of the language, and when we would ride our camels, he, he would you know he would go chief of the of the Uled Buspa. The Uled Buspa were the tribe that, that captured Riley, and he was actually from the Reguba tribe. And the Reguba tribe ran the Uled Buspa out of there in later years. But but he would when we'd encounter each other, he'd go chief of the Uled Buspa to me, you know, pretending. Uh, do you have sugar? Do you have salt? Are there enemies ahead? The way you would do when you met people on the desert. And so he he would enact these things, and and we would um, we would uh, uh, you know piece together language to talk and, and use the map, and he would point to you know a, there was a well here. This was a this was an Uled Buspa well. They would go there, and 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 typically our, we would talk louder and louder, and people around the the fire that we were sitting around at night would sort of spread out and, and move away because they. Um, because uh, you know there was a lot of loud gesticulating, and you know it's just the way you sort of uh, communicate in situations like that. But um, but you know it, we were we were able to do that, and and in the end, um, Muhammad, we got out of his area of, of local knowledge, and and our uh, guides that we had hired, um, who were from Raqqa, just took him back into town and 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 sort of um, because. He, he he couldn't lead us anymore through the uh, as we moved north and but um, before he left he gave me a friendship ring that I you know twenty years later I still wear um, because those bonds you form in in a place like that just this stripped down elemental world where you're depending on each other and where you're riding together in in sort of suffering and laughing together um, it's it's very profound
0: now Dean. Just thank you for that. That was fantastic. And just just to bring it back to a broader question for our listeners. uh, The 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 Arab slave trade was much older than the the transatlantic slave trade and is estimated to have enslaved uh, more people by many historians. Could you just give our listeners a brief overview of the Arab slave trade?
2: Well, it, it you know it had been going on for centuries, and you know in in both directions, and uh, to the east, uh, Zanzibar was uh, a big uh, uh, slave trading center to in that direction. And you know, uh, if you're fighting an enemy and you want to control an area, what better way to than to, to capture your enemy and get rid of them and um, be paid for it in in some form? So um, you know, in in in. Um, really it's existed uh, probably as long as humanity has existed um, in various forms. So, um, and, and you know, uh, I'm, I, I think even today that there, is, is, um, there are some issues with, with uh, slavery in parts of Africa. Um, and, and we uh, feel like uh, when, we, when we were out in the deep desert uh, and taken into a home we saw a a black African who was sort of shuffled off and put into a back room and looking at us very forlornly as we were leaving the the residence. And we we suspect that we had encountered somebody who had been enslaved there ourselves.
1: And you you mentioned how the book had a profound effect on America at the time. Um, But what do you think is the most valuable lesson Riley's life teaches us?
2: I, th- I think there there are a lot of lessons there. Uh, um, I think that you know, particularly in this day and age, that um, uh, where you know faith is is questioned a lot. That 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 was something that I think serv- saved them. You know, if they didn't have that that, that faith, um, I th- I think that um, they 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 probably would have been broken, just as Riley was momentarily, um, and he might not have gotten through that moment if he didn't have it. Um, uh, reading about uh, the crew, the way the crew um, stuck together, that teamwork uh, really, you know, um, I, I thought was a profound moment too. Is that when they were broken apart, their spirits were much more fragile and they were much less likely to survive. I thought that was amazing. Um, and then I think that Riley's looking on the positive side of his experience, you know, that brutal experience and um, in, 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 in seeing that, you um, it wasn't that, that the, the people were intrinsically bad people, but that, that here was this evil institution. That, that, that was pretty um, amazing and insightful, and so he took this really harrowing experience and, and turned it into you know, just an, another um, piece of, of, of the dynamic that would um, free us of slavery
0: in the United States eventually.
2: Boy, that, that's, uh, that's a good question.
0: Thank you very much for that, Dean. That's really, really brilliant. Uh, And and many lessons there that are still relevant for us today. Now, one question that we really love to ask on this podcast on A Dream and A Fear, and it's definitely a a favourite with our listeners. If you had the chance to go to the pub with Riley today, what would be the one thing you would ask him over a pint?
2: You know, he, he communicated with City Hammond. He did actually go back and become a trailing, trading partner with Wilshire. Really? Um, he, really? he didn't actually go down on the desert himself, but I, I think he probably felt like um, there there wasn't a chance of success at that point by the time he you know recovered and got back to sea, which was much later.
1: And just to end there, I, I'm amazed that he never actually went back to try and find the men. Am I right in saying that?
2: you know, he, he communicated with city Hammond. He did actually go back and become a trailing trading partner with Wilshire. Mm -hmm. Um, he, Mm -hmm. he, he didn't actually go down on the desert himself, but I, I think he probably felt like, um, there, there wasn't a chance of success at that point by the time he, you know, recovered and got back to sea, which is much later.
1: I think that wraps up quite nicely. Our chat, Dean, thanks once again for joining us all the way from America and bringing to light this incredible story of survival Um, again for all our listeners out there please go and do read the book Um, it's a hell of a story uh, and one you don't hear um, every day of the week so thanks again Dean